Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans. Welcome to the same old Dolphin show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. We are halfway through the preseason, halfway through fake football. And just a couple weeks away from real football. But it, uh, why, why do I feel like what I saw on Friday night from the Miami Dolphins is basically what I'm going to be seeing a lot of during the regular season from the Miami Dolphins? I mean, I, I, I know that we were without a lot of our playmakers on, on offense. We were without some big names on defense, but this team just, it just, I felt like particularly offensively, it was just like, I think this is what it's going to look like. It's just going to be frustrating and just sort of meh. Meh. Hmm. Are you saying that these are the same old dolphins? I mean, you could really say that these are in fact... The same old Dolphins. I mean, as far as maybe on-field product, I don't think you're going to see anything too terribly exciting. And certainly, I think a close observer can spot some subtle differences. But I think anybody who is just sort of a casual fan of the Dolphins will probably recognize something same old Dolphins. Now, we know the process isn't same old Dolphins, but the product may very well be. Um, either way, it was just sort of a – it was just sort of meh. But speaking of same old dolphins, we are the same old dolphin show and we are on Twitter at same old dolphins on Twitter. So we invite everybody to follow us there. Um, if you're not doing so yet, we hope that you will be doing so soon, especially as the season starts to kick into gear. The account is going to be much, much more active. So follow us there. Make sure you never miss a moment of the same old dolphin show. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash same old dolphins. If you are still on Facebook, I, I mean, it seems like fewer and fewer people are on Facebook nowadays, but we're over there. Facebook.com slash same old dolphins. Uh, Aaron is at Aaron the brand. A.A. Ron, the brain on Twitter. And I am, of course, at Amplified to Rock. And uh, of course, we're part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. Every episode of the show is available on DolphinsTalk.com. It is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. So uh, head over there to DolphinsTalk.com every day, particularly during the preseason, because there are news, columns, opinions. It's all there on DolphinsTalk.com. Let's head back to the preseason game, the second preseason game of the season. Uh, results are not a big deal in the preseason that, you know, some people will, will tell you that they were. And quite frankly, this game got really exciting in the fourth quarter, as at least exciting in terms of it being a preseason game. And if you were interested in the result, it kind of got interesting down the stretch. Um, would have been a very exciting ending had it been a regular season game. Uh, so I think the Dolphins and the Dolphins, I think, I know the Dolphins lost this game 16 to 14 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but some exciting play down the stretch. But that's, of course, not really what you were focusing on uh, in this game. There were certainly some strong performances by uh, uh, Laird. What's Laird's first name? Brain, give it to me. Patrick. Patrick Laird. I want to say it's Patrick, but I don't know that that's correct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was trying to help you out, but I had the mute button on. Yes, it's Patrick Laird. See? Okay, great. So I... Anyway, Patrick Laird, I thought he had a good performance down the stretch. I still don't know if he's going to be somebody that makes this team. Probably not. It seems unlikely. Um, uh, barring, you know, one of these injuries to somebody like Drake or Bellage being particularly serious. Um, I don't think Laird is going to make the team, but he had a very nice performance. Jake Rudock looked okay down the stretch as well as a couple other people, but Listen, the, this game, if we're going to talk about the Dolphins preseason game against Tampa Bay, the first thing we need to talk about just as it seems to be like the first topic of conversation around the Dolphins for the past several years, it, it, it starts at the quarterback position where Josh Roden got, Josh Rosen got the start and played the entire first half of this game, which was somewhat surprising, but I think also at the same time, pretty good it was you wanted to be able to see Rosen for an extended period of time with the first team against the first team defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and so that's what we saw and what we saw was 
not terribly exciting. I think it was, well, we we said it earlier. We'll say it again. It was just sort of meh. He had his moments. He's He showed us that he has some uh, pretty good pocket awareness, but there was nothing where you were watching that performance. And granted, even though it was only his second preseason game with the Dolphins, there was nothing about it again that made me go, this is the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, it was, uh, it was meh is exactly the word. It was just, there was nothing terribly exciting about it. Um, for the most part, nothing was bad, but he did for the second game in a row make one really terrible throw. Um, and this time it wasn't picked off, but it should have been. And it was just a really terrible throw. And I think that's the thing that stands out to me right now because he played fine. There was nothing great about it. The receivers didn't help him out a ton. There were a few drops. I mean, overall, you look at his numbers and you say 10 for 18, uh, for 102. The, the average isn't necessarily where you want it, the yards per attempt, but, if you throw, if you you make at least two of those drop, I think there were three drops on his eighteen attempts. If two of those were catches, then you're looking at like a sixty-seven percent completion percentage, and and the average yards per attempt go up, so it looks better. Uh, but that horrible mistake, the horrible throw, these are the things that are going to lose football games. And those are the things that a quarterback cannot do in the NFL. Because you can survive. You might not be a franchise guy, you know, if you're just, you know, being okay, making the throws that you're supposed to make and and limiting your mistakes. But if you're making the catastrophic turnover, the catastrophic play, that's going to lose you football games. And that's what the Dolphins cannot have at that position. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I, I think probably finally did Ryan Tannehill in with this organization is that along with his sort of questionable health down the last couple of years that he was here, you know, he showed time and time again that he was more than capable of making that terrible mistake. And, and it 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 was his judgment and sometimes it was his inability to read defenses that that caused those problems. And And you see the same sort of thing with Josh Rosen now. He he has the sort of tendency to make the big mistake. He hasn't played a perfect game just yet. Rosen was eventually pulled in the uh, second half, and we got to see uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick for most of the second half of this game. And and to be perfectly honest, his performance was not much better than Rosen's. But again, no, it was worse. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it probably was worse. But the thing that you see with Fitzpatrick is that he's, he comes on the field and he's a leader. You can just see it. And there's been a lot of talk this week about body language with Josh Rosen and all of that. Fitzpatrick shows it on the field that he is, when he is out there, he is controlling this team. And, and you know, come rain or come shine, he's going to lead this team the way that he needs to do it. And when he had that uh, big scramble in the second half where he bowled over uh, MJ Stewart on a play that was eventually called back, you know, you saw the team get fired up and he got everybody fired up. He's, he's that kind of guy that teammates are drawn to. So it's, it's not surprising that in spite of what was another lackluster performance from Ryan Fitzpatrick, that he has now been named the week three preseason starter in the Dolphins upcoming nationally televised game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so brain, Give me your reaction to Fitzpatrick's performance in this game against Tampa Bay on Friday, and now your reaction to the news that he is going to be the starter for the third preseason game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fitzpatrick was – this was a mad day for for Fitzpatrick. He was not good. Uh, the accuracy wasn't there, but he did have that – you know, he had that nice scramble. Um, and I, I think it's questionable for your quarterback in a preseason game to lower his shoulder and try to bowl over a defensive player instead of trying to protect his body. But look, that's who Fitzpatrick is. And that's one of the reasons why people rally around him. But the biggest thing is, is that with 
I mean, I don't know that this is necessarily an accurate assessment of Fitzpatrick over his career because he has definitely had many games where he's thrown a lot of interceptions uh, and been extremely reckless with the football. But in this game, as in the game before, the first preseason game, where Josh Rosen made the catastrophic mistake, Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick did not. And there's the whole body language thing. I think there's something to that as well. I think what the the biggest, I think the biggest story here and the biggest reason why Ryan Fitz, I think there's two reasons why Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starter, not just for this next preseason game, but probably for the start of the season. The first one is that they want Josh Rosen to win the job. They don't want Josh Rosen to win the job by default. They want Josh Rosen to go out there and consistently play better than Ryan Fitzpatrick in practice, in the preseason games, day after day after day. Do the things that Fitzpatrick is doing in the huddle and outside of the huddle. Talking to guys, doing in the doing the extra work before practice and after practice, and being that leader, they want Rosen to do those things and back it up on the field before they just hand him the keys to the franchise. The second reason is look at that schedule in the first month of the season, and look at the Dolphins' offensive line, which was again. Terrible in this game. It was a little bit better because Laramie Tunsil was there at the beginning. And when Tunsil was there, it actually looked like, hey, the offensive line is playing all right. And then Tunsil came out of the game and it was a dumpster fire again. This offensive line is going to have their hands full all season. And they are especially going to have their hands full the first four weeks of the year when they get Baltimore, New England, Dallas, and then the Chargers. Four very good defenses four defenses that are going to bring a lot of pressure. And Josh Rosen, while he looked a little bit better in this game, handling the pressure, handling the pressure and showing some pocket awareness, it's not really his forte. And if this guy's got any chance to be the franchise quarterback, unless he's going out there and he's absolutely destroying uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, I shouldn't say that. If he's not clearly winning the battle, I think that they would like to protect him, get through those four games, then you get the bye week, and then that perfect landing spot with a home game against the Redskins in week six. It just, at this point, it seems like almost too perfect. Now, I'm not going to say that that's a, a, a concrete plan that can't be changed if more information you know, is lended and, and Josh Rosen turns a corner and he's clearly the better of the two options. Or if Fitzpatrick goes out there and whether it's in this third preseason game or it's in the opener or whatever game it is and, you know, throws four interceptions that you're not going to throw Josh Rosen out there because ultimately you want to give your team the best chance to win. But I think right now, Brian Flores probably won doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in Josh Rosen giving them the best chance for the for the team to win in those games against those defenses. And two, I think that they really, really, really want Josh Rosen to win the job definitively before they just hand him the keys. Yeah, and that's not something that, uh, at least thus far, we haven't seen any signs that he's going to win this competition outright. Um if you read the signs, uh, Chris Perkins had a great um, column about this uh, in The Athletic about how it really seems that Flores is currently favoring Fitzpatrick. When when he talks about Fitzpatrick, he talks about how great he is and how he's such a leader and all of this. And when he talks about Rosen, he tends to talk to him uh, – he t- tends to talk about Rosen kind of how you would talk – how a teacher might talk about a particularly slow third grader. You know, it's like, 
Yeah, well, you know, today <laughs> he um, he managed to do some of his ba- basic math tables, and that was really good. Um, but, you know, he's still got this problem with, uh, you know, throwing chairs at people, and that's that's a real problem, you know. So I think that's kind of the sign, right? That's one of the big signs there. And maybe Flores is playing some game with us, but it doesn't seem to be that way. And I think if you read the tea leaves, it seems like Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And it's interesting because uh, there was another column that was posted uh, from Dave Hyde of the Sun Sentinel. And he, you know, basically made this whole argument of if the idea is that you're building for the future and that this is a year where you're evaluating players um, and the quarterback competition is pretty close. Why not give Rosen the benefit of the doubt and let him be the starter so that you can actually see what you have with him? And my response to the Hyde column is, first of all, it might not actually be that close. And and if that is the case, then I think you're finding you already know what you have with Josh Rosen. If Josh Rosen was a guy that was tip, was going to be able to grab the reins and be the guy who takes over this football team, you would have seen some sort of indication of that last year when you had when when Baker Mayfield had his moments. And I'm certainly not <laughs> trying to compare Josh Rosen to Baker Mayfield, although that's what it's going to sound like. You know, as the second you saw Baker Mayfield on the field with the Browns, he took over that team and he owned it. And you just haven't seen that with Josh Rosen. So I think that as of now, Fitzpatrick is going to continue leading this ship. And that's just what it is. And maybe it's time, you know, it's not time to make a final judgment, but I think the odds right now of, of Rosen becoming the long-term franchise guy for the Dolphins, it, they seem like pretty long odds. At this moment, but moving on from the quarterback conversation, let's take a look at some of the other things that there are to talk about. We sort of touched on that offensive line. It's continuing to be a disaster, and I think it's going to continue to be a disaster all season long. And 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 frankly, I don't know how much it's worth to get into <laughs> really to get into the trenches on this offensive line because I think it's just bad. And I think even if the Dolphins make some sort of waiver wire signing and they they bring in a, a veteran with NFL experience. I just don't know how much improvement you're really going to see on this offensive line over the course of the season. Brand, do you have any any thoughts on what this team can do? I mean, there was it's, marginal improvement with Laramie Tunsil and, and Michael Dieter had some moments there for the Dolphins in this game. But I think largely it's just going to be a lot of just face palming on this offensive line. It's probably the worst offensive line in the league. The fact that Laramie Tunsil is there at left tackle means that if you get any kind of serviceable serviceable play from right tackle and you get at least one of those interior guys to to be a good player, then you've got potential for for the offensive line to be okay. But that's the absolute best case scenario for this offensive line is that they're going to be okay. And it's not the most likely scenario. And that's assuming that everybody stays healthy, which just doesn't usually happen at the offensive line. We have, I mean, we said this last week, but we've got absolutely nothing at left tackle after Laramie Tunsil. I mean, we tried Jordan Mills. We tried uh, this Jones Smith. I mean, there were both disasters. Will Holden, disaster. Jesse Davis, I think got, may have gotten a couple of snaps at left tackle. I may be wrong on that, but, but he can't handle that position. He, he may be a serviceable right tackle. I think the hope is you're just hoping and praying that Laramie Tunsil plays 16 games, that you get a serviceable guy at right tackle, whether that's Jordan Mills or, or, uh, or Jesse Davis. Or whoever it might be. I mean, I don't think that they're going to go out and get somebody. Because, I mean, if, you, if you're if you getting somebody off the scrap heap at this point, look, everybody in the National Football League is looking to improve their offensive line. And they need healthy, capable bodies on their offensive line. People aren't letting go of offensive linemen right now unless they're just not good. So, granted... We're, we may have the worst offensive line in the league. So another team's trash may be our treasure to some, to some extent. Um, so, so it's certainly possible. And you hope that 
Somewhere along the line, we got a, a, a serviceable right tackle. The interior is interesting on this offensive line because Kilgore, I thought, had a nice opening game. He struggled in this one. Uh, Dieter has had some moments up and down, but you expect that he's going to improve as the game goes along. It looks like Shaq Calhoun is going to be one of the starting guards, even though he's not very good in pass protection. He is, he has had some success run blocking, but I mean, look, if, if, if Laramie Tunsil gets hurt, this offensive line is just going to be a disaster and if any of those other guys get hurt, the the offensive line is going to struggle. And even if they're all healthy, I still think it's probably the worst offensive line in the, in the league. I think the best case scenario for this offensive line, again, is that they're a below average offensive line, but they're okay and you can work with it. But it's going to be a rough year for this group. You just hope that Tunsil stays healthy and that you've got a couple more players there that you feel can be part of the long-term solution, whether that's Jesse Davis, Michael Dieter, probably not, as far as long-term, probably not going to be Kilgore, maybe Reed, maybe Calhoun. You just hope that that there's an improvement and that, you know, when we get to the end of the season, we look at it and we say, all right, we've got three offensive linemen and we've got two starting spots to to really hone in on going into next year because then you could really fix that offensive line in one offseason. Let's move to another area where I think there was a little bit of disappointment if you are a Miami Dolphin fan this week. We saw Preston Williams come down to earth a little bit this week. He had had a pretty stellar training camp and scrimmage, and then he looked really good against Atlanta's second team in the first preseason game. This week against Tampa Bay, he sort of came in, he came back down to earth and he came back by all accounts. He came back down to earth a little bit in practice. And then he came back down to earth a little bit in the game as well. Had a couple of drops that were pretty bad. Uh, he, he nearly made a spectacular catch in the end zone, but just barely stepped out of bounds. This was a coming back down to earth sort of weak for Preston Williams. I think there's still a lot of potential there, but you know, we were, I listen, I was effusive with my praise for him last week, but this was one of those times where it's like, okay, well, let's see. He's still a rookie. He's still got some growing to do. And when, you know, when he's in there against the big boys, you know, the, 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 um, the learning curve goes up significantly when, when you're no longer in there against NFL backups, but NFL first teamers. Yeah, it was not a good day for Preston Williams. I think he was targeted eight times and he ended up with one catch and he had, I believe, three drops. He did almost have an incredible touchdown grab. He missed it by basically, you know, having a toe on the chalk, you know, at like the one or two yard line before, you know, basically battling out battling the defensive back and making a circus catch but because his because his toe was out of bounds it was it was taken back it was incomplete and that's the thing about him that's so exciting is that what have we hated about Devonte Parker is that i mean aside from the fact that he can't stay healthy and that he doesn't get on the field but the biggest the biggest problem with Devonte Parker when he's been on the field is that he doesn't always show that fight on the 50-50 ball. And Preston Williams is showing that consistently. And even though that catch gets taken away, it's worth noting that he very nearly came down with it, and it's just because of his toe was on the chalk, because it's showing that he is not scared to go up there and battle for it, and he has the, the hand-eye coordination and the body control to come down with those balls and that makes him a very valuable asset and then you throw in the fact that he is a good route runner and he can do other things besides just being you know one of those big 50 50 ball guys it is exciting and I still think he's got a just a load of potential and and could really be an impact player for this team in the future and maybe even this year and he could definitely push Devonte Parker for playing time in that role and maybe even another receiver if Albert Wilson or Jakeem Grant are not healthy 
or or not producing. Why not? If Preston Williams is your is one of your best receivers on, on the team, then get him out there and use him. But this was a struggle for him, uh, and he's certainly going to need to be more consistent. I will say it's interesting seeing him on punt returns because I get it. Like you're, you're putting him out there on punt returns. You don't want this young guy who's had off the field issues. Otherwise he would have been a first or second round draft pick. You don't want him to get full of himself. You want to keep him humble. He just doesn't look like a punt returner to me though. Uh, he just, he's not like, he doesn't have this explosive first step. He's not super shifty or quick. That said, he is hard to bring down um, in the open field. Like he had this this one return where you know this little defensive back went to tackle him. He just stiff armed him right into the ground, and you love to see that. And that tells you, hey, get the ball to this guy in open field. You know, as a receiver, and he can make some hay. Very similar in the way that that a Brandon Marshall used to do it back in the day when he was on the, you know, whether it was the Broncos or the Dolphins or the Bears, when he was always one of the best in the league in yards after contact or yards after catch because he was just so difficult to bring down. And I think that's who Preston Williams reminds me of. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of a Brandon Marshall type. So, look, I I still think the arrow is ultimately pointing up on him for his career and and like he he's making the team for sure, but He's definitely got to do better because if he comes out the next game and lays another egg, then I think he he becomes a guy that becomes more of the project that we thought he was coming into camp instead of a guy that's going to help contribute right away. Another part of the game that was, well, a part of the game that was improved for the Dolphins against Tampa Bay was the defense. I thought the defense was probably, and and. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising. I think the defense is going to be the best unit on this Dolphins team. I thought the defense had a had a pretty good game against Tampa Bay. And, and it was impressive to see Charles Harris getting after it. Um, Sam Aguavin, again, continues to uh, be an impact player for this team. And speaking of guys that are going to be uh, impact players in their, in their first year, Aguavin is one of those. Uh, I just think... All, all around, it was a pretty good day on the defensive side of the ball for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I guess I got I to gotta go back and look at it. I thought watching it, Aguavin had a very, I, I guess he made more good plays than bad plays, but he had a couple of bad plays, a couple of missed tackles that I didn't think were were that great, but he also had the big splash plays. He had the a couple of run stuffs. He's he's good in coverage, and and I guess those plays showed up more than you know a couple of plays that that he wasn't you know particularly great at. But Agua, there's no doubt that Aguavin is going to be uh, an integral part of this team, especially when they are when the opposing when the opposing team is in obvious passing downs because we know that Raekwon McMillan more of that run stuffing linebacker and Aguavin more of that you know pass defense you know that coverage linebacker they're gonna play they're gonna complement each other perfectly but the guy that does everything is Jerome Baker I mean he's all over the all over the freaking place and you saw it. You didn't see a lot of it in the first game. They didn't dial up a lot of blitzes. Didn't didn't do a whole lot schematically. And it was one of the things that you know got people up in arms. Are like, oh, where's the pass rush? And you know the Dolphins didn't generate any pass rush in that first game until the third teamers got out there. And I tried to explain that this defense is going to be about bringing pressure in different ways. And it's going to be about bringing it through blitzes. And if the Dolphins aren't going to be blitzing, they're not trying to have their defensive linemen work on just, you know, going after the passer. It's a, it's very much, it's an occupy your blocker, keep them at the point of attack. 
and and play gap responsible football, something that this team hasn't done in in years. And it's been why we've consistently been one of the worst run defenses in the National Football League is because we've had no gap integrity because our defensive linemen have been consistently just worried about going after the quarterback. And then the, the opponent, the opposing team just runs the ball and the defensive linemen in their haste to go after the quarterback leaves their gap wide open and you get these massive holes and then those offensive linemen get up to the second level on our linebackers and and all of a sudden you've got you know a 20 30 40 60 yard run and that's been ha- and that's that should not happen to this defense anymore because of the new style of play but we saw them dial up some blitzes we saw Jerome Baker off the edge we saw Nate Orchard off the edge and they were constantly bringing pressure. Now, the defensive line brought some pressure, too. Christian Wilkins was very disruptive in this game. But you know who the most disruptive Dolphin player was in this game? Charles Harris. And that is exciting because we've talked about it. This guy needs to have the breakout season. Former number, Former first-round pick. Just a couple of years ago, had some promising signs in the in his first year, took a major step back last year, basically disappeared, and we wondered, well, maybe he's a better fit for this type of defense, and he has had a good camp, and it all came together in that preseason game, you know, on Friday night. He he looks really good, and I, I'm telling you. The talent is there with him. Godshaw is just as solid as they come in the middle. Christian Wilkins, look, he's got that first-round pedigree. He's a three-time All-American. There's a reason why we drafted him in the first round. He's going to be a very good player. Jonathan Ledbetter looks solid. Carradine looks solid. This Dolphins defensive line is going to be for real. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be elite, like best defensive line. I mean, and they're not going to be, it's not going to be the type of defensive line that racks up huge sack totals. The sack totals are going to be evenly distributed. There's going to be linebackers that that are getting sacks. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of guys with probably between four to eight sacks on this team. There might not be a guy on this roster that gets double digit sacks this year, but that's okay because we're going to generate pressure by bringing it from different places every single play. And it's exciting because this is, and, and it's not just the, the defensive line, but it's also the linebackers between Orchard and Baker and Aguavin. And you, I really want to see what McMillan looks like in this defense because we haven't seen him in the first two preseason games. I really would like to see what Kiko Alonso looks like in this defense because we haven't seen him. And I think he's getting very close to, to getting cut and not making this team because of the, the play of some of these other line other linebackers. Now I don't know for sure if that's going to be the case, but uh, look, if Kiko Alonso doesn't get out there in that next preseason game and show something, I I'm, I would not be shocked if if Kiko Alonso doesn't make this team. But the fact that Kiko Alonso doesn't might not make this team speaks volumes. And I know Kiko Alonso is not a great linebacker. It look, the Dolphins fan base has been kind of split on him, but it, if you really watch it, he's really, he, he makes a lot of splash plays, but for every splash play he makes, there are two or three other plays where he's just woeful and he's in, he's out of position and he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. But that said, he going into the training camp, I think most Dolphin fans probably still said, eh, he's probably your third best linebacker. The fact that right now you're wondering if he's not even your fifth or sixth best linebacker speaks volumes to what the rest of these linebackers are doing and speaks volume to just how good this Dolphins front seven might be. And it makes me very excited because I think it's the best Dolphins front seven that we have had probably since, certainly since the Saban era. And it might even be you might you might have to go back to to the Wanstead era when Zach Thomas was here, because obviously you look Jason Taylor was great and he was here past the Wanstead years and into Saban and then back another year, uh, I believe with I, I don't I don't remember who it was I think with the 
with Philbin. I, I don't remember, but, but even when Jason Taylor was here, we've had problems at linebacker for probably a decade or more. And this is exciting that we've got a front seven, front six, front seven, front eight, what, depending on the, the fronts and the, the formations that they play. I really think it's, it's the best front seven that we've had, if you want to call it that, since probably back in the Wanstead era. When we were a perennial playoff team. Yeah, and I think as you as you look at this Dolphins team right now, I think it's pretty easy to see that when this team begins to start winning some games, I think it's I think it's because of where the defense is. It seems like the defense is the unit that is closest to being uh, you know, to make to being at the level where this team needs it to be in order to be a contender. And so that is the unit that seems to be coming along the best right now. The Dolphins still have a lot of question marks. They still got a couple things to figure out in the secondary and they'll figure that out soon. Uh, hopefully <laughs> they'll figure that out soon. And obviously there's a lot to figure out on offense, including, you know, whether or not they're, they're going to have an actual franchise quarterback, but the defense is the unit on this team. That is, that is the strongest point. And, and I think if this team manages to win some games this season, it's going to be because that defense stands up and does a really great job. Other thoughts on this Dolphins Bucks game brand before we move ahead and look at what is next for the Dolphins and uh, a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars on national television in the preseason. Who oh is boy. making these choices gonna, for Fox? Who is, who is making show. the decision to put the Jaguars and Dolphins on national television? Well, that Josh Rosen story, the, the quarterback story is probably the reason. I mean, Jacksonville's kind of an interesting story, too. Going to show the world just how bad our offensive line is in the dress rehearsal against one of the best defenses in the league. Probably another reason why Rosen isn't going to be starting in that third preseason game, because... Let's face it, if you're trying to protect him for the start of the season against those four really good defenses, you know, you might as well try to protect him a little bit in the preseason when he's going to go up with no offensive line against one of the best defenses in the league in Jacksonville. But before we get there, I did want to touch because I, you know, I said how much I love what we're doing with our D line and our linebackers. When you add in the D line and those linebackers, and then you talk about You've got Xavier Howard, you know, a Pro Bowl corner, one of the best corners in the league. You can make the case that he's the best corner in the league. I'm not so ready to do that yet, but he's certainly one of the top three or four corners in the league. Eric Rowe, we finally got to see him on the other side, and he is such a substantial <laughs> step up from whether it's Nick Needham or Patman or LeMans or Wiltz. It's, it's very clear that he has solidified, solidified himself as the second corner, which I, I thought that was a very important thing that we needed to see in this, in that second preseason game. We needed to see Eric Rowe out there and we needed to see him doing his thing and being a solid corner. And I think that's what we got there. Now, whether or not he stays healthy, he's got a whole long career of saying that, that suggests that he will not stay healthy. But if he's healthy, I think we've got a really solid corner there. Bobby McCain doing a good job with this at single high safety. Um, we saw a lot of Minka Fitzpatrick playing kind of out of position. I know he's, he can do everything. He's probably, you know, outside of Xavier Howard, he's our best defensive back. And, you know, there's a lot of positions where you could put him in and say, he's our best option. Basically anywhere that's not occupied by Xavier Howard, you could say, put Minka there. He's your best. He's the next best option. But you also want to put him where it's where he's going to succeed most and what's ultimately going to be best for the team in the long term. Now, you got to take into consideration that Rashad Jones is out. He's hurt. Uh, TJ McDonald didn't play in this game. He, he, he had an, an injury issue. With both of those guys being out, if it comes to that, Minka Fitzpatrick is going to have to play strong safety. And I know there was some... Uh, there was a little on, I don't know if it was a tweet or whatever from somebody in Minka's family, if it was his mom or whatever that said that his, his son is not a, a strong safety. He's frustrated. He's playing out of position and Minka Fitzpatrick 
by a, by, by a few accounts from the beat writers. He had a tough week of practice because he wasn't particularly happy that he was playing in that position. You just got to understand that when injuries happen at that position, the Dolphins aren't particularly deep at safety, in particular strong safety. They really got two guys. They got Rashad Jones and they got TJ McDonald. If both of those guys are hurt, there's really only one other guy on this roster that can play that position. So even if it's not his best position and it takes uh, really an elite player out of a position, you're probably going to end up with Minka playing that strong safety position, which we don't love. But it's just something that you're going to have to bear with when there are injuries. Now, you hope TJ McDonald will be back. Rashad Jones, you're hoping he'll be back at the beginning of the regular season. If both of those guys are back, you probably won't see Minka play very much strong safety at all. And you'll probably see him play a lot more, almost predominantly, uh, slot corner or perimeter corner opposite Xavier Howard when they're only in uh, in a two-corner or a four-defensive back look. Uh, but... When healthy, given that we've got Xavier Howard, Eric Rowe looking solid, and Minka Fitzpatrick, that's uh, that's three fourths of your of your starting secondary that you're feeling pretty good about. If your front seven is really good, and three fourths of your secondary you're feeling really good about, I said it a couple weeks on the sh- on the show, uh, and I wasn't sure. You know, I didn't say it with a whole lot of conviction because, again, at that point, we hadn't played a preseason game and we were going up against our offense, which is going to be terrible. So I wasn't sure what to make of it. It was not necessarily the greatest performance in week one against the Falcons. But in this game, the defense looked the part of being a top 10 to 15 defense. I really believe that this team has the talent and the coaching potential to be a top 10 defense this year. And if they're a top 10 defense, they just need the offense to play smart, sound football, protect the ball, and make some plays here and there. And there there's a path for this team to not be terrible. And I know that that is probably not music. So wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying 7-9 and nine is a legitimate possibility for this team? It's a legitimate possibility. Right now, I'm not ready to go there because I think the offense is so bad right now that the defense could be a top 10 defense, and I still think we're probably only winning four or five games. So, gun to your head, you have to pick. You have to tell me what this team's ceiling is this season. What is it? I think their ceiling is probably seven and nine. So, the odds are they're not going to reach their ceiling, but you never know. I, I might be, you, you can maybe stretch it to, to eight and eight just because like if your defense is really good and you run the ball well, you can kind of, you can kind of mitigate the quarterback position. I mean, Tim Tebow, when <laughs> the, the Broncos made the playoffs with an eight and eight team with Tim Tebow at quarterback. Uh, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, and obviously Nick Foles is not like a slouch. He's not a terrible quarterback. I mean, Jacksonville just paid him a lot of money, but he wasn't anything special. Case Keenum got the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC title game a couple of years ago. It can be done with a game-managing quarterback uh, if you have a really special defense. And I'm not saying that our defense is that kind of defense. It's not going to be a special defense, but I believe that this defense could be a top-10 defense. And if you got a top 10 defense, you're going to be in just about every game. All right, let's look ahead to this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the biggest thing that you're hoping is that whoever the Dolphins starting quarterback is, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you you hope that he survives this game. Obviously, we got to hope that this offense can do something. I guess the big thing is it'll be very interesting to see how Kalen Balazs does against this Jacksonville defense to see if he can get anything going on the ground. You, you hope to see at least some fight from these receivers, maybe a bounce back game from Preston Williams. Hopefully you'll see, we start to see some of these number one receivers in the game. I don't know that Albert Wilson is going to be ready to play in this game, but hopefully Devontae Parker could get back out there and we can, we can see some things from this Dolphins offense just to see if there's any hope of, of seeing a spark of something. A big thing is, I guess you'd like to see Ryan Fitzpatrick improve a little bit. If he's going to be the guy that's captaining the ship, then 
you know, he might as well be doing something good. On the defensive side of the ball, obviously you want to see what this Dolphins defense is capable of against a pretty good Jacksonville defense. But uh, do you have any specific thoughts on things that you are really looking at in this game? Um, I think the running back position, um, we're still not sure what the numbers game is going to be there. We, we kind of believe that they're going to keep four running backs and one of them is going to be Chandler Cox. So you expect that it's, you know, Drake and Balazs are safe. And then that means one more running back. Mark Walton, uh, looked good. He didn't put up great numbers running the ball, but he didn't have very much room to run, but he did look very good in, you know, catching the ball. I think one play he lined up as a receiver in the slot and caught it and had a nice run after catch. He looks proficient catching the ball. He's got some, some wiggle. He looks the part of, clearly being the third best running back on the team. And then the question is, between Laird and Gaskins, do either of those two make the team? Uh, do one of them get get end up on the, on the practice squad? I want to see more of that. I want to see, because I, I, I honestly, I'm at the point with Gaskins where I like him. I like the way he runs. I like his vision. I like his elusiveness. He's a shifty guy. I like the fact that he's that he's on special teams, that he can return kicks. I think he's a guy that has a chance to make this team. He also used the draft capital on him, not not high draft capital, like the seventh round pick. So it's not like he, you know, broke the bank on him. But I think He's a guy that if you put him on the practice squad has a high potential of getting snagged by another team. And I wonder if he comes out and shows up in this game and plays well. One, does he have a chance to beat out Mark Walton for that third running back position? And if he doesn't, is there still a spot for him on this roster without risking losing him by putting him on the Patrick's, uh, um, on the practice squad? Patrick Laird, Look, he had the best game stats wise, but I mean, I could have run through those holes. <laughs> he, he had a couple of, he had a couple of big runs and look, he hit the hole well. He did his job and he, he's looked the part through camp and he looked the part in the first pre- preseason game and he looked the part in this one. I just think Gaskin has more upside. So I think, look, when you're talking about filling in the bottom of your roster, those last few roster spots, do you want to fill it with a guy who you feel, you know, has the potential of being a serviceable player? Or do you want to fill it with a guy that if he gets the, if he gets the, the call, if, if all goes haywire and you've got to depend on this guy, if he gets the shot, he could actually be something that is more than just a serviceable player, an actual impact player. And I think Gaskin has the potential of doing that. So I'd kind of hate to lose him. And so I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to see how that battle plays out. Nick Needham. I love the guy, the, the defensive back, the corner out of UTEP. I love the way he plays as far as his energy, his enthusiasm, his, he's just a scrappy guy. And I love those scrappy guys. I think all of us as football fans, we love those scrappy guys because you know, what are football fans and broadcasters and sports broadcasters? We're fans of the game that didn't have the ability to go out there and be professional athletes. So the guys that endear us the most are those guys that aren't the biggest, aren't the fastest, but they're out there and they're scrappy and they're making it work just on guts just on guts and work ethic. And that's the kind of guy that Nick Needham is. But man, it just looks like every time we give up a big play in the passing game, Nick Needham is right there as the guy that got beat. And wh- whether or not it was a mis- there's a miscommunication between Needham and another guy, it's just he's always in the equation. And it just looks like he just might not be big enough or fast enough to play at this level. I hope that he, I don't think he's making the roster, uh, the opening day roster for sure. I think, you know, I hope that he ends up on the practice squad and he's a developmental developmental piece. And then, 
you know, we this time next year we're talking about, man, what growth we've seen from Nick Needham. And this guy is going to be a contributor on this team in 2020. But right now, it just looks, I'm I just not seeing it. It just looks like he's one of those guys that just, you love him. You love the energy and the enthusiasm. But he's just not big or fast enough to play in this league. That, I think, is where we're going to call it for this week on the same old Dolphin Show. Uh, Brain, remind everybody where they can find you. Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. And I am at Amplified to Rock, the show at Same Old Dolphins. Don't forget we're on DolphinsTalk.com, your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins, Facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. And of course, you can download, rate, review, and subscribe to the Same Old Dolphin Show on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Google Play music podcast thing, whatever the Google store is. I am an Apple user. I'm sorry to disappoint all of you uh, Android and PC fans out there, but that's just the way it is. Uh, we're also on Spotify. We're on Stitcher and a number of other places as well. If there's some place that you would like to hear the show and it's not there yet, uh, let me know and we'll see if we can't uh, sort it out for you. So that's going to wrap us up this week. We'll be back next week after the Dolphins take on the Jaguars to talk about what we thought of that. Maybe we'll uh, make a call on our on this roster as far as what we think that roster is going to look like. And we'll start really looking ahead at what this 2019 season is really going to look like because this is, as the brain alluded to earlier in the show, this is the dress rehearsal for the 2019 regular season. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other, and we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins! Miami's got Dolphins, the greatest of all teams. We take the ball from Gold.